Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Berean. I am Brandon Lockridge. I'm Steve Hogan. And we are back in this segment to discuss Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And I'm going to go ahead and read 7 through 16, and we'll go and work our way through it. So starting verse 7, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. <clears throat> All right, so going back here to verse 7, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So how do we uh, how do we see this here, Steve? You know, in in most of the commentaries I read there and I can see both sides of this, there's two different ways they take it. The first one is that God gives to each Christian the amount of grace that's needed for salvation. Mm-hmm. Um the second way of looking at it is God gives the spiritual gifts through grace to each to serve the body of Christ in the way that is needed. You know, God equips and empowers, which the second one would make sense to me being that he goes right into like the different gifts people are given to build up and edify the church. But I don't have a problem with either way that that it's mentioned. Yeah. I mean, you know what I, I, I'm what's clear in this is that either way you look at it is, is God is giving it right? right. So God is the one that's doing the work here and he's providing uh, this grace, right, yeah. to to the believer, and it's not something that's of ourselves. Uh, the Lord is providing it as as He does with all things, right? Yeah, and it goes right <laughs> into verse eight, where He talks about how you know He led captivity captive. Which this is actually a quote from the Book of Psalms, from Psalm sixty eight eighteen, mm. and I think we should read the whole Psalm because there's a part that's left out here that I think really plays into this. You want to read that, Brandon? Yeah, it says, uh, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Yeah, that last part there, Paul doesn't quote it here, but I I know when Paul quotes these things, he knows Mm -hmm. people are going to recognize to go back into the Psalms. And I just love how it says that, For the rebellious also, that the Lord might dwell among them. 
Now yeah. we are the rebellious, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And this this phrase, like you said, you know, it's it's Old Testament phrase used to signify, you know, conquest over enemies, right? right. And uh, you know, the natural unregenerate man is being held captive by spiritual enemies. Right. And and that was our <clears throat> case as well when before we were saved by God, we were held captive by spiritual enemies and and we as believers were although once held captive by those dark forces, those dark spiritual forces, uh we've been rescued by Christ from that captivity, right? Yeah, and that's, you know, this <clears throat> idea of being captivity captive, the rebellious it's kind of covered in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse one through four, when it talks about our former way of life, that we walked according to the power mm-hmm. of the prince of the air, which is Satan. Right. And so Satan held us captive. We walked according to his power, but God through Christ, through Christ descending, it talks about how he descended here and mm-hmm. then he ascended again. That's talking about after he was raised up and he ascended back to heaven and he gave gifts to us and brought us to salvation, equipped us for ministry and defeated our enemies that we could not defeat. You know, something I want to bring up here just as a quick, because this is something that maybe some of you have heard before. But Steve, have you ever heard this about uh, verse nine, where it says that uh, now he that ascended, what is it uh, but uh, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Some people use this, I've heard, to say that Christ went to hell mm. after he died. He went to hell for three for three days and then came back uh, and ascended up on high. I don't know if you've ever heard that. but I've, I have. Yeah, I've heard that before. And really, it's just a confusion of of the language here, you know, to to because when it says into the lower parts of the earth, that was a common phrase to refer to, usually it referred to two things. It, it, it referred to just earth itself, so in relation to heaven. So heaven, you have heaven, it's, it's, it's the right. highest of places, and the lower parts of earth is just, you know, referring to the fallen earth itself, or it could also refer to the grave, you know, that right. you know, some people have used it to say that, you know, Christ, he descended first into the grave, his body went to the grave first, and then, you know, ascended, but it doesn't mean that Christ went to hell well. first. Uh, that's actually, I've heard that, like, popularized amongst some charismatic mm-hmm. teachers, and uh, it's just well, a, Joyce Meyer has mentioned that he went to hell, and the oh, she she was yeah. told by God Jesus went to hell, and the devils were dancing on his back, and just <laughs> I mean I, I've heard her say it from her own mouth. Now uh, maybe not those exact words, but that's what the gist of what she was saying was. Oh gosh, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. It's it's sad, really. Yeah, it's sad and, because, and I, I do want. To, oh, go ahead. No, it's just a it's just a perversion, a, a, a perverted interpretation, right? Really, you know, and I do want to point out. In some people, may this may come to mind. In First Peter, in chapter three, it says, you know, Christ suffered for sins. Uh, going forward to verse nineteen, it says, by which he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, I don't have an issue with people saying Christ died and he did go preach to the fallen angels that were imprisoned. And that word preaching, I take more of looking into the definition of proclaiming victory. 
So mm. Christ did not go to hell to be tormented by demons. Mm. He proclaimed his victory, which is what we're reading about here, leading captivity mm. captive. Yeah. And, and that term also talks about, you, you mentioned it, like conquering your enemies, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and it says here that um, he descended is also uh, the same... Uh, it's, excuse me. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fulfill all things. And really, you know, this is discussing uh, Christ's victory, right? Mm-hmm. Over over sin. Uh, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he he is ruling and reigning over his kingdom, which is currently in place right now. And he conquered death. He conquered sin, right? Right. Yeah, and it's just interesting. I mean, you have to remember, these were Psalms written by King David long before Christ that perfectly described the ministry of Christ Mm. and his victory beforehand. And we know that in like the book of Acts, David was called a prophet. And then at the end of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, I think it's verse 44, that it talks about when Jesus was walking on the road with the the disciples that he met, he was explaining to them all the prophecies of himself from the law, mm-hmm. the prophets, and it talks about the Psalms as being prophecy about Christ. Yeah. And so this idea of descending is simply meaning that Christ was in heaven. He's the word mm-hmm. of God, the son of God. He be- descended to earth and became a man. And so we can understand when you read certain things in the gospel now, what Christ meant, like John chapter three, verse 13, Jesus says, and no man has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Mm. Uh, John six thirty three. you want to read that one? Yeah, it says, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Right. And then you have uh, John six sixty two. What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascended up where he was before. So clearly he was there. Yeah, he was right. there before. Right. right. So there's this consistent idea Jesus talked about about I came down from heaven, right. I descended from heaven, and what if you see me go back up to heaven, right? Yeah, exactly. And as I mentioned before, you have this note here, you know, fill, uh, fill all things. You know, he fulfilled all things, all the prophecies, as you said, you know, all the types in the shadows, right? I mean, all those Old Testament types and shadows. We were actually talking about this before, you know, you look at the life of Moses and how, you know, mm-hmm. it's a type and shadow, you know, I, um, uh, Abraham and Isaac, you know, the type and shadow that we see there, right? I mean, there's so many things. Uh, that we see, you know, even the, in the lives of, of men like Joshua and stuff. I mean, right. you just see there's so much in the Old Testament that we see that are types and shadows that Christ fulfilled. You know, the the priesthood he fulfills. He's the high priest. You know, the right. the, the kings. He's he's the the one true king. Right. The mm-hmm. be, you have note here the better and true Adam. Right. He's the second man. You know. Right. The, the the second man did what the first man could not do, you know, what the first man failed to do. That first man, Adam, uh, the second man, the second Adam, that being Christ, uh, fulfilled the things that the first man failed to do. So, uh, yeah, you just see, you know, he is the completion of all of this. Right. right. Yeah. And that's that's a thing like we, we have to remember when you're reading the Old Testament that God was laying out types and shadows and prophecies about Jesus 
it, you know, it's said all of the Bible is about Jesus. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, today we're in no need of a temple. We're in no need of animal sacrifices. Mm-hmm. None of those. It doesn't mean we despise those things or hate those things. Those are the things that God instituted to bring us to the point we're at today. But we're no longer in need of those things because we have Mm. something better. We have the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Right. Absolutely. And then obviously he sits on David's true throne. David Mm. was promised a son that would sit on his throne forever. Now, that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's sitting on the throne over true Israel right now. Yeah, and it couldn't have been any other son because all those men died, right? Right. Solomon died, all the other ones died. So the one that sits on the throne forever is the Son of God, that is Christ. Amen. Yeah. And so and into in verse 11, we kind of get in, he names some specific gifts and he says, uh, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Um, and so what do we uh, understand about the office of apostles? The first thing he lists there, Steve. So the very first thing I want to mention is that the office of apostle has ceased. There are no longer any apostles. Mm, um, there's some who would debate you on that. Yeah, Steve. and there's some so. that would be wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm not trying to speak pridefully or arrogantly, but yeah. the, there's very specific things for apostles. One of them being that they wrote the scriptures. Yeah, and absolutely. so like I can't say today like, hey, I'm going to add another book to the Bible because I'm an apostle. No, Paul was an apostle, and Paul was gifted by God to write Scripture. Peter was gifted by God to write Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So no one should be calling themselves an apostle. Yeah, the whole, the Holy Spirit spoke to those men in a very, very specific, special way with special revelation. You know that that you know the Spirit doesn't do that anymore to to inspire more Scripture, right? right. I mean those. That's, well, and you that's can a- see in some of Paul's letters, he even would separate like these things are a command from the Lord. These things I haven't really gotten a command from the Lord, but I'm going to tell you what my opinion is. And he would mark out like, this is just my opinion. So it wasn't confused, but I can't sit today and say, well, I got these specific commands from the Lord that I'm going to write down and throw in the Bible for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is prophet, and this is where you can see that me and Brandon can agree to disagree on certain things. Um, Steve is wrong, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Said no one ever. (laughs) No, go ahead, Brandon. You want to take this first, and then I'll show why I'm right. (laughs) If I can get through without laughing. Oh, man. (laughs) You... That's it. You want to follow up with a yes. with a better argument, and okay. then we, there will be no more talking <laughs> after that. <laughs> no more discussion. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, the office of prophet. Uh, so from uh, the a lot of the commentators that that I read from, and and would be the position that I would take as well, is that uh, the office of of prophet is uh is like unto the office of of apostles in the sense that it it is ceased and so um the my position would be that um that the uh prophets uh spoken of in the old testament and even the ones uh that are exemplified in the new testament uh were uh, had a very specific purpose in the in the um 
uh, writing and fulfill and fulfilling of Scripture. And so these prophets were given and spoke the things that they spoke at the specific times that they did uh, because Scripture was being written, and so it was for the purpose of of Scripture. And uh, and then and and then once Scripture was done being written, those that office of prophet would have uh, slowly faded away, but there's certainly, you know, another view, which is what Steve has here. So, yeah. So in mine, I guess you could call it a little bit of a hybrid because I would agree that the office of an old Testament style prophet ceased. And Mm. it actually, I would say it ceased with John the Baptist, which Mm. is Jesus made that point. Mm. So like in Ephesians chapter two, when it talks about the foundation being apostles and prophets, I would say those are two offices that have ceased. I do believe that there is a gift of the Holy Spirit called prophecy that is not on the level of an Old Testament prophet. So Mm. I could not say, thus says the Lord, and these are the words God is speaking. Mm. Um, And I would point to like Acts chapter 11, when it talks about Agabus in verse 27 and that by the spirit, he gave a prophecy that there would be a famine throughout the world. Mm. Um, And then if you look in first Corinthians chapter 14, now this is key for me in the understanding of prophets and prophecy today. It's Paul says, let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge. Now an old Testament prophet, when he said, thus says the Lord, that was it. This is what God said. Same with apostles. When they wrote scripture, that's what God said. Today, prophets' prophecy can be mistaken. There can be issues with it. That's why Paul points out here, let other people judge. Paul would never say Mm -hmm. that about Jeremiah or Isaiah, but he would say it about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that I believe are around today. So I hope that makes sense to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We're going to get into it because we got a couple other ones to talk about here, but we're going to see in verse 12 that there's a, a specific purpose really for all of these. Right. And I guess before I jump there, let's, let's go ahead and talk about the evangelists and pastors and teachers. Yeah. Right? So evangelists, simply someone it's literally means those who bring good tidings. So I would say an evangelist is more of like a preacher of the gospel. Um, I believe this is those who would spread the gospel mm. outside the church, maybe missionary work, working out in the field, not necessarily a pastor, although it could uh, kind of go hand in hand with a pastor, but I do believe it can be separate too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the next one would be a pa- an actual pastor, a pastor and teacher, you know, a pastor is one who shepherds the flock. He doesn't just teach, but he's also overseeing, he's protecting the sheep, right? Yeah. Pastors have this oversight of the church. They're in charge of the church. Um, and they should be, uh, I believe that they should be tied to and fixed at Mm -hmm. one church so that they can form the relationships needed to minister to people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. They, they could have a heartbeat for, for the congregation. You know, I mean, when you have a pastor, for example, you know, pastors that, uh, you know, are constantly gone all the time, you know, maybe they have, uh, a bit of a bigger name. And so they go on, you know, speaking <laughs> tours and things <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, I'm not, not trying, I'm not, I'm not pinpointing anybody. I'm not calling, trying to call anybody out. I'm not, it's, and I'm not trying to downgrade anybody. I'm just saying like when, when you have that, when that happens, 
you get a pastor who maybe can get out of touch with yeah. the heartbeat of the congregation, their own church, and they're not really being a pastor. At that point, really, they would probably just be a, just a teacher, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And so under teachers, it's just one who teaches doctrine, theology, the Bible, um, more of like, I would say today, more of like a class setting podcast like we're doing here, mm-hmm. Bible study <laughs> leaders. You know, Bible study leaders too, though, depending on the study can, if you're leading an intimate study, you should have some of those markings of a pastor mm-hmm. as well to really care for the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then teachers do not have charge over the church and they are to be in obedience to those who are in charge of the church, I believe. Now, some of the commentators said pastor and teacher is the same thing. Mm. But I, I, you know, maybe it was back then. I don't know. But today, Mm. I definitely can see that there could be separate offices for those things. I I don't know if you agree, Brandon. Yeah, I kind of see them. They can be they can be the same, obviously. In a lot of ways. Because obviously, I think you want a pastor who can teach. Right. Um, But they can be separate to to your point i mean people that are doing you know class classroom settings where they're teaching or or whatever you know it doesn't you don't need to be a pastor uh, right. for that you know yeah um and so that kind of leads us actually into verse 12 cuz thing is what are all these for and this is kind of what i was talking about earlier you know when we were discussing about prophets and stuff the the point of all this the, these these gifts uh, that the Lord gives to some people. What is it for? And verse 12 is clear as day. It says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So whether you believe that there are or aren't, that there is or isn't the office of prophet today, whatever, it, regardless, what is it for? Right. Because... What's the point of what they're doing? Exactly. If if there's someone who's saying, you know, they're a prophet of the Lord or whatever, or they're giving a prophecy, and it's purely for their own edification, it's purely to build them up and make them look good, th- there's a problem, right? It's not for the edification of the body of Christ at right. that point. Yeah, so... That's that's really the purpose of these gifts, right? Well, and that's the thing, you know, not just even with prophets, but you think about pastor, oh, teacher, yeah. Yeah. you know, are you a pastor because you love the adoration of men and you love to mm-hmm. be in front of people? And, you know, those kind of motives are not for the edification and building up of the church, which is the point of the gifts God gives us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he also talks about how, these gifts are to bring us to unity in the faith, which remember what we said earlier, I think it maybe it was even in our last podcast that true unity comes in truth in the word of God, not just throwing the truth out to, to unite. Right. Yeah. You think about it. I mean, sin causes dysfunction and, and disunity, but our unity in Christ and, and, the gospel will bring unity amongst believers right. and will ultimately strengthen us, right? Yeah. And when we are strengthened in unity, we can now do the work that God has set before us and we can edify the body of Christ, right? Right. And it's a unity. He, it's key. He says it's a unity in faith. Right. And so you have to know what you believe and the truth behind what you believe to have this unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the third thing he mentions is a knowledge of Christ. 
So these gifts are used to bring us to unity, to edify the church, to give us a true knowledge of Christ, of who he is, of what he's done for mm-hmm. us and in our life, right? Yeah, you think about it, actually, you, that you, that unity should result in in something. I mean, if if you're just because what are you unified? What are you unified in? Right. And, and it, that unity should increase your knowledge of of Christ and who he is and what he's done for you and in, in your life, because an understanding of that, a proper understanding of that and knowledge of that just it just builds up the unity even more right it just continues yeah. to grow that unity right i mean cuz everybody is you know understanding who they are in christ and what their role is with the gifts that they've been given right and it just continues to unify more and more yeah i i totally believe i've seen it with myself and if you're listening to these podcasts I know that you feel it too. As you grow in your faith, as you become more unified with Christians, you want a deeper knowledge of Christ mm. and you start to dig into the scriptures and you're like, man, I never read it this way before. I never saw this next level of depth. You know, and that's, I, I truly believe God made the Bible in a way that it's not a book that you just read once and you go, mm. oh, I know the story, I'm good. It's meant to be studied over and over again, and God reveals more and more about himself, about Christ, about who you are in him. It's just an amazing thing. There's so many times I read through passages, and I'm like, man, I know what this says. I've read it a thousand times. (laughs) And then you read it, and you're like, wow, I just saw something I never really picked up before. Yeah. I was reading something recently in Genesis. And I will. Uh, I now I do remember what it was. I won't go into what it is because it'll probably just take us down a tan. You know, we'll a, have to a, do another. Podcast yeah, exactly. Section. Steve and I'll just get going, and we'll just be like, "Oh yeah," and we'll totally start talking about something that is not even this. So, but it was it, it was just amazing because I I read it again and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I never really I never read it that way. I didn't even see it. I don't think so. It's just amazing how you can just keep reading it and never ever you know, think like, oh man, I've, I've got it all down. Yeah. Amen. And then he talks about the perfect man and the stature of fullness. Mm -hmm. So a perfect man that's only found in Christ, faith in him and knowledge of him through the grace and justification and sanctification found in Christ. So we will never be in and of ourself, perfect men in this life. And I don't think that that is what Paul's getting at here. Right. And then the stature of fullness, he's simply talking about growing into a mature Christian, uh, a mature manhood in Christianity. Now, that can be at different ages for different people. You know, let's say you got saved at 40 years old. Mm-hmm. You may not grow to a mature manhood till 55 years old. Um, you know, you may have been born in a Christian family and be a mature Christian by the time you're 15 or 18 years old. It can yeah. differ from person to person, right? Yeah, it's just the process of, of sanctification, right. you know, in our lives. And, uh, you know, we are, when we are, uh, the moment that we put our faith and trust and hope in Christ, we repent and believe in him, uh, you know, that we are justified at that moment. But sanctification is a process, lifelong process, a lifelong process that God takes us through. And, and that's the perfecting that he's talking about. You know, there's a perfecting process and we will not be 
fully perfected right until we get to heaven and when we're there with the lord and you know the 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 righteousness that is within us right now is only on christ's account right right it, it's because christ was perfect he was perfectly obedient he obtained he earned a perfect righteousness by being perfectly obedient to his father and then passed it to us right? Exactly. And it's now imputed to us. And it's, and it's only because of the person and work of Christ. It's nothing. Yeah. You, when you think about it, you just sit there and you mull through that and you're like, oh my gosh, I am so worthless. I, I'm so unworthy. The only worthy thing in us is Christ. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. And it's it, just incredible. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about it earlier, but my pastor mentioned at church that, you know, and I've got to be careful of this because I tend, I, I don't lean toward liberalism. I lean more toward legalism. So I have to be careful with myself that I know I'm saved by grace through faith alone. And I know that when God looks on me, he sees Christ and mm. that's the good in me. But I've got to remember that with other people too, that everyone is at a different point in their walk and their sanctification yeah. and not make up my own law and hold people accountable to my own law when I don't even hold myself accountable to that law. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So now we're on to verse 14, it looks like. Yeah. It says uh, that we, so he's just coming off of, um, you know, unto the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, uh, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And we were also talking about this, you know, off, off mic here. Just about, you know, it's it's so sad when you look around today and you do see because, like you say, like you gotta you gotta meet people where they're at. You gotta be patient with them. You you have to be gracious with them, and <clears throat> realize that people are in a different place in their walk and in the sanctification process. But it's but. really it, well, <laughs> but it's really sad to see, yeah, uh, immature Christians. Who and I don't say that like I don't say that in a, in a demeaning. Yeah, yeah, I'm not insulting you or being you know in a demeaning way. Am I saying that you know oh you're you're immature? But it, it's true. There there are many modern day false doctrines that immature Christians are swept away by. Yeah, and you know I just a few off the top of my head. You know, thinking of like the prosperity gospel. You yeah. know that so many people are swept away away and thinking that that uh, God wants them to be wealthy. You know, and, and then the faith healing stuff that God wants them to be healthy. And there's yeah. people that make money off of, you know, preaching to people that God wants them healthy and wealthy and uh, give me your money and I'll show you how, you know. And it's just really sad that people get swept away by this stuff. And with healing, it's not not that we're, we're not saying, obviously, that, that God doesn't heal. God does heal today. Of course he does. But the thing is, is... When you're told, when when some charlatan is up there on TV or on some big twisting some big scripture. huge church twisting scripture and telling you that if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed, right. it's just not a promise that we're given in God's word, and it's just sad to see people taken by this. And yeah. so, yeah, here what Paul's doing here is he lays out God has gifted people. Here's what the gifts are for: to build up the church, to bring in unity. And really to bring us up to a mature enough standing in Christ mm -hmm. that we won't fall prey 
to yeah. wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. And it just reminded me, wh- what he wants to do is to build up discernment in the church, right. basically. And in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14, it says this, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have a need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use of have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Mm. And it's sad that today, especially in American Christianity, this, this what, what was written in Hebrews applies to us. So yeah. many Christians grow up in, you know, quote unquote, Christian households, and they have need for someone to teach them again the basic oracles of God because they can't discern between truth and, and a lie and good and evil. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. You have a note here, and I think it's a... a kind of raises a question in my mind, you know, it says, you know, people want to continue being babes in Christ instead of growing in maturity. And you just think about like, why, why is that? And I think it's just, it's a lack of discipline, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the word of God. And, and, and overall, I think I'll, actually that goes all the way back to just being a lack of, of a true love for God and for his word. Because if you have a, a true, genuine love for God and for his word, you're going to want to be in his word to know what it says, to know what the Lord the the Lord's will is what He's commanded of you, what He requires of you. Um, you you want to know your Father in heaven, right? Yeah. And and so, um, I think it's just a lack of of desire uh, for that. There's such there's so much there's there's biblical illiteracy in our churches, and and it's just causing this uh, desire. You know, people just wanting to stay. Uh, you know infant Christians and, and maybe there's things in the Bible that are hard because maybe they're living a certain way and they don't want to change the way that they're living. You know, you, you have, my goodness, you, you have, you know, Christians, albeit probably more liberal Christians, but they're falling into, you know, like the homosexual agenda and you've mm-hmm. got churches saying, you know what, we're okay with homosexual pastors and all this stuff. And because you know we want to be sensitive and all this, and they're falling. They're not. They're not sticking to what the Word of God says, and you know it's just. It's really sad to see. Well, you know? and you know this is a rhetorical question, but you just think, you know, not even the original church, but let's go to the Reformation. These men were burned alive, <laughs> yeah. burned alive, because they would not give up their Bibles. They refused to give up their Bibles. Ask yourself, if someone came into your house unknown and took your Bible, how many days would it take you to realize that your Bible was gone? You know, that's just a a question to think Mm -hmm. about because I know there's some churches locally here by us in Southern California where you don't even bring your Bible to church Mm -hmm. because you're not in it that much. So how long would it take people to notice like, oh, wait a minute, I haven't seen my Bible in a month, two months, six days? Just something to think about how much you're in the Word. Yeah, and you know, I think that, (laughs) you know, none of us really likes 
persecution and suffering. But, you know, if you think about that passage in Philippians, Philippians 1.29, you know, about how it's been given to you to, you know, both believe and suffer, right, for Christ's sake. And, you know, I sit there and think as painful and as unpleasant as persecution and suffering would be, I feel like that would really separate the tares from the wheat. You know, yeah. if we got a little bit of persecution in our churches today, in our in our Western American churches, uh, you know, that quickly, that kind of persecution quickly, uh, you know, sets people, you know, who've got one foot in and one foot out, it, it quit, quickly puts them on a side, right? Yeah. And, and you look at the, uh, you know, a lot of these third world country churches that are, you know, being these, these believers that are being beaten, mm-hmm. imprisoned, and even killed yeah. for their faith, there's no half in, half out. I mean, th- these people, they're either believers on fire for God or they're not. I mean, they're just, you know. At lunch, we were doing a study with some guys from work and we were just talking about how in China, like mm. true believers, I'm not talking about state sanctioned yeah. churches, the communist churches. I'm talking about the ones that really want to read their Bibles the together. underground churches. Yeah. yeah. They have to go out at three in the morning, four in the morning, in in a forest. I mean, just underground, literally underground. I mean, crazy places to be Mm. able to have true fellowship and read their Bibles. And, you know, you wonder, would I be willing, even with how much I work and having a family, to sneak out of my house at three in the morning to go Mm. read the word and study, knowing that I could get killed that night for it? Yeah. Can I take a quick moment to to plug uh, um, another ministry that's out there? Um, it's something that I've our family's been uh, uh, supporting for a little while, but it is a ministry called Trinitarian Bible Society, and I just want to plug these guys because these this ministry has been around for like a hundred years. These people are, are incredible. Um, they are what they do is. Because there's so many, there are so many places around the world. There's so many people that don't have Bibles in their own language. Okay, and the Trinitarian Bible Society takes the original Hebrew and Greek manuscripts, the ones used for the King James Bible. Okay, those uh, those manuscripts, and they translate those manuscripts into the common native languages That's awesome. of of the people throughout you know throughout nations you know, all kinds of third world countries and you know Russia China Korea Vietnam they're doing doing all this amazing work you know with with the true you know the best manuscripts that we've ever had and they're they're translating it into the common language of the people, and they've been doing this for like they've gone under the radar. I think feel I you know they don't get enough attention, but they've gone under the radar for you know a long long time, and they've just been doing such great work. And I, I would you know, if if anyone out there feels like you know they want to uh, try to contribute to uh, a ministry that is really trying to get bibles into the hands of people all across the world uh i would i would certainly plug them they do great work awesome Um, but yeah so i mean um as we move on here now um 
actually we still we've got some uh few more things probably to talk about right here in verse 14 right yeah so we were talking about how paul's wants them to grow in maturity mm. to be able to discern right from wrong good from evil truth from error right. and he points out that he wants this not because they may accidentally be deceived or someone may make a mistake and deceive them he says that because there are per- people out there that will purposely be trying to deceive them. Mm, You know, at the end of verse 14 or in the middle, it says by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Yeah. So we have to be aware that there are people purposely deceiving the church of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you look back to verse 11 and you see some of those gifts there that God gives, and you just think of how many people are actually in those places, you know, and are holding those offices or whatever as evangelists, as pastors and teachers, and they aren't, they actually haven't been gifted by right. by God to hold those positions, right? Yeah. So well, yeah. it's sad because, you know, I think about like the, the universities, like the, you know, quote unquote, Christian universities, we've got hundreds of them uh, throughout just in America and you've got thousands of people coming out of those universities. Where are all the amazing pastors? Where 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 are they? If we're producing thousands and thousands of, you know, uh, qualified pastors right. every year, why is the why is the the Western Church still in such great need? Well, know? because what we're doing is we're doing man's qualifications. You yeah. know, oh well, they took these classes, they got this education. Here's a certificate. You're a pastor. God is the one that qualifies. God calls mm-hmm. and equips. If God wants a man to be a pastor, he doesn't need. Now, let me back up a second. It's not a horrible thing to go to school. I want to say that before I say this. Do not insert foot in mouth. Yeah. (laughs) I want to say that before I say this. But who is going to better equip a man to be a pastor? God himself or some school? And so what we see is a a lot of these schools now have been infected with liberalism, Mm. false ideas, a local school school here, Biola, that has a you know supposedly a great education system, they have teachers teaching people that the gospels are written in literary style, and that Jesus's miracles aren't necessarily true, and he, even his raising from the dead may not have been true. It was just a style they wrote in to make him seem like a great person. Mm. Now yeah. think about that. This is not a liberal college. This is a quote-unquote Christian college training pastors, Mm -hmm. teaching pastors this garbage. Sadly, a lot of these universities are becoming very liberal. I I mean, over the past 20 years, a lot of those once conservative uh, theological seminaries uh, are becoming quite a bit more liberal. You know, you, you mentioned Biola. I mean, the current president of Biola is... trained and graduated from a liberal Catholic Jesuit college. Boston College. So, so, you know, I guess when you're putting people like that with that worldview in in places of leadership in these schools, I mean, how can it not just happen? You know, I mean, you know, Fuller... 
theological seminary, another one, very, very liberal, very pushing the liberal agenda, you know, uh, locking arms with Muslims and stuff like that. It's just ser- and, terrible. And let me show you something here, the listener, not Brandon, because he can see it right in front of him. <laughs> let me show you something here that this is nothing new. What we're saying, these aren't conspiracies. This isn't craziness. Even when the apostles, the disciples were walking the earth, preaching the gospel, Satan was raising up false teachers and ministers that would tell people, yeah, Peter, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know the real Jesus, even though I was never with him. And so Paul gave a warning in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 to 15. You want to read that, Brandon? Yeah. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So, you know, I want to give just a a quick rundown here of a few warnings that are given throughout the New Testament so that you see this is a common theme. This isn't something that me and Brandon latched onto in one verse and we're like, hey, let's just blow this thing up. You know, in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Now think of that last part there too. How many pastors are out there like Joel Osteen, who are deceiving people because, Mm. hey, what they say, it sounds really good and they deliver it in such a great way Mm. and they're deceiving the hearts of simple people. Um, You want to read 2 Peter 2 there? Yeah, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom... Uh, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Yeah, and it's just always when I read this section, you know, just in the same way there were false prophets, there's going to be false teachers, but verse 2, he says, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Mm. Now think of how many people you talk to that aren't Christian and they go, oh, Christianity, is that like, you know, XYZ pastor that has to have his jumbo jet? Or is that like XYZ pastor that has $200 million and a mansion? Mm. And Right? So they just rattle these yeah. things off and speak evil of Christ because of these wicked men. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I in verse 3 it reminds me it says in and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Um you know, this reminds me I, I although I don't know probably weren't false prophets, but cuz they're they were just 
making money off of the people in the temple, you know, when Jesus right. came and they were, you know, it was just a big old market in the right. middle of the temple, you know, and that's the part where Jesus overturns the tables and stuff like that. But, you know, they're just in there making money off of the people, you know, and, oh, you need a, you, you need a, a spotless uh, lamb, you need a, a unblemished goat, you know, here, let, right. me, let me sell you that here. And it's well, like, in some of these big churches, I mean, I've got big churches in my area and they have bookstores and they don't care what they sell in their bookstore. They'll sell a heretic, they'll sell a liar, a blasphemer, whoever it is, mm. they're not fact-checking yeah. them. They're just like, hey, we can sell books and make some money. Let's let's open a coffee shop. Let's make yeah. some money that way. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But anyways, so the whole point here is Paul wants them to be built up in the truth so that these men that are purposely trying to deceive them, to make merchandise of them, will not succeed in what they're doing because we're educated enough in yeah. the Bible, in God's truth, to know truth from error, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then moving on to verse 15, you know, talking about, you know, speaking the truth. Uh, Paul says, but speaking the truth in, in love, love, yeah, may grow up into him in all things, uh, which is the head, even Christ. So speaking the truth in love, we've we've talked about this already, uh, but you know this is key. Obviously, when when you're uh, speaking to your fellow brethren, uh, you know you have we're gonna ha- all come across brothers and sisters that are gonna fall into some erroneous things, and it's important that we are speaking the truth in love to them, and we're not just you know bashing them over right. the head and saying what's wrong with you, what's your problem. Like we said again, you know there's there's people who are different you know, places in their walk, they're, they're at a different point of sanctification in their life. And so, you know, we need to be very gentle and gracious with them, uh, but not forsaking truth to say, oh, I don't want to offend you. So I'm not going to give you the truth. You know, that's not, that's unloving, right? So, right. And um, we only grow in the sanctification through God's truth. Like Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through your truth Mm-hmm. Your word Words. is truth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I've got another. I've got another Matthew Henry quote. I just, I was I just all. I was all over Matthew Henry in this study. Man. Me and Matt are good buddies. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> Me but, too. <laughs> he, uh, he just he was just lights out. I thought in his commentaries on this on this uh, section of scripture, but in uh, it, for verse fifteen, he has this quote. It says, "Quote." Love is an excellent thing, but we must be careful to preserve truth together with it. Truth is an excellent thing, yet it is requisite that we speak it in love and not in contention. These two should go together, truth and peace. Yeah, that that's awesome. Well, and you know, it makes me think of some of these groups like the, you know, the Westboro Baptist oh, Church that, gosh. you know, they're going to a funeral of a gay person and Oh, God hates, you know, yeah. gay people. Like, uh, bite, my, bite my tongue there and say yeah. the proper thing. God, you know, God hates gay people. And yeah. so where is that speaking the truth in love to people? And how is that witnessing to people about the love that God has for them? Mm-hmm. All you're doing is creating hate and preaching hate to people. Yeah, that, there, 
they're not a Christian group. Yeah, they, and I mean not, that's an extreme. Just, yeah, that, that's a very extreme example. I yeah. mean, for us in our own life, practical application, let's call it. You know, we have to be careful not to speak the truth out of pride or out yeah. of anger. Like, you know, sometimes you can tell someone the truth and then they want to argue with you. We don't need to argue. We don't need to prove we're right. We just need to be willing to speak the truth in love. And then if it's not well received, okay, we've done our duty, right? Yeah. Yeah. I come, I've come across so many people, uh, it's so many different times, uh, you know, just even within like the past couple of years that, you know, say things that is so like, you know, these are Christian people, but they're so like theologically just off and it sometimes like I find like it can be frustrating because I'm like man that is not what the word of God says like you're totally Mm -hmm. like twisting that and taking that wrong and interpreting that wrong but then I have to realize like okay I was I was there there too yeah I was there too so just trying to gently you know direct them down the right path right you know so that's speaking the truth in love I'm not sitting there going listen that's that's heresy. You need to knock that off right now. <laughs> no, because then you're not. That's they go to shutdown mode. They're yeah. going to go to defense, and they're going to be like, "What's wrong with you?" You know. Yeah. So you can't do that. That's not loving. It's yeah. So and so the, this idea of speaking the truth in love, I I put on here Psalm nineteen seven to eight. I just love these verses about God's word. It says, "The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure." making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And I just thought, mm. man, that that's just so yeah. beautiful. And obviously Amen. it's true, you know? Amen. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So the last part of verse 15 there, and, and actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to read that plus all of verse 16 because it kind of goes together. Um So let me just start over actually in 15. I'll read both uh, verses. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love." So this idea of the head being Christ. So we're we're the white we're the uh, body. We us compiled together believers collectively are the body and Christ is the head, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what's being said here and but as it continues on there into verse 16, you know, still speaking of Christ as the head from whom the whole body fitly joined together, right? Mm-hmm. So Christ being the head, and then we're connected to that head, and we make up the whole body of Christ. And each of us has a different role, right? Right. And through these gifts, the exercising of the gifts, the teaching of the proper truth of God, this is what causes Christ's body to grow. Yeah. And, you know, every one of us has a role and a part in the body of Christ. Now, for some men, God has raised them up to be a pastor and to affect you know, thousands of people. For mm-hmm. other men, they're they're called to be an usher and affect just the few people coming into church at a time. For some of us, we're meant to affect one or two people in our workplace or in our family. We just need to be willing to fulfill the role that God has given us. 
And also, I would say we have to be on guard, too, to not desire a role that God has not given us, right? right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that we've probably all f- fallen into that at some point or another, you know, just thinking like, man, I wish I could, I wish I had that gift. I wish I could right. do that. Or I wish I, you know, and who knows, like maybe, maybe there is a giftedness that somebody else has and, and you're really drawn to that maybe because that giftedness is in you, but the Lord is doing some, something with you and sanctifying you. And right. maybe eventually your timing's we'll, not yet. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe eventually you'll come to a point where you're put in that position, but um, we shouldn't sit there and desire, you know, in an envious way, right. you know, desire, you know, someone else's gifts, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think this would be a good time for you to just maybe kind of ask yourself after all of what we've just read today, like, what are your gifts and how can you best serve the body of Christ? Apostle. Uh, I know. Brandon, I'm going to have to tell him afterwards he's not an apostle. <laughs> um And then I would also ask the question, you know, a big focus of this is being sanctified in the truth and growing in your knowledge of God and doctrine Mm. and theology. And Mm. is your church, is your pastor helping you to grow in your knowledge of God? And, you know, are there other places at your church? Are there other classes or Bible studies that you can get involved with that will also help you to grow and expand so that you can be on guard against those that would try to deceive you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's the thing, the, the two things go hand in hand really for unity, both theology and the practical working out of it. Because the thing is, we said before how, well, if you, you know, if you just know a bunch of stuff and it's like, man, I could, I could just, I could run circles around this person with theology. Okay, great. So, you know, a bunch of theological stuff, but it doesn't practically play out in your life. Right. Well, then how are you going to be unified with the body? And at the same time, if you know how to, you know, I can practically be a good Christian, but I don't have good theology. Well, I would ask, how are you even practically how, if you don't have good theology, then how are you even practically living out the good Christian right. life, quote unquote? You know, so those things go hand in hand. You you need them both the the theology and the practical working out of it, so that you can be properly unified with the body. If that makes sense. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to think God gave us His Word, and how disrespectful is it to God to say? you know, that part doesn't really matter to me or, you know, I don't really need to pick up the word of God. I think you're on dangerous ground there when you start to decide which parts are important and which parts aren't. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And then the last question I had here is, you know, how often are you in the word? Yeah. And then is your church a Bible teaching church? Yeah, instead of, you know, like Steve mentioned, the churches where, hey, you don't need to bring your Bible. We've got it up on the screen for you. You don't need, you know, just leave those at home. We want everybody to be comfortable. We don't want anyone to feel out of place because some people may not have a Bible, and you got to be very leery of that. I would say if your church is not cracking open the Bible, you might want to investigate a new church. Yeah, we we have a big church locally here that— they actually play movies at church. They have movie and popcorn night. And I'm talking like secular, hardcore movies. They'll play sections of them and then 
describe how that describes a Christian. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, <laughs> you have a Bible. What do you need that movie right. for, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 man's way of just wanting to supplement the word of God with something else. And yeah. it just that just doesn't work. And so yeah, and and the question of how often are you in the word, yeah, that's crucial. Are you in it daily? Um because this is your daily bread, right? It's the living water. And and if you're not in it daily, getting nourished, nourished by the water, nourished by the bread, um, I mean, there's there's so much room for the enemy to come in and just pervert your life. And and so, you know, you watch your life and doctrine closely, yeah. right? And so I just wanted to point out, you know, most of us today have a smartphone. One of the things I know that some of you may say, well, I read the Bible, I don't understand parts. On your smartphone, one of the apps I love is Olive Tree. I promise Brandon didn't get paid for his plug of the ministry he mentioned. I did not. And no. I don't I don't get paid by Olive Tree. It's just it's just an app I love. But Olive Tree allows you to bring up the Bible. You can split the screen and then bring up a commentary or a cross-reference. So if you get stuck on something, you can literally click the cross-reference right below on your phone and it will bring up an explanation. It will bring up cross-references. So it makes studying the Bible so much easier. And we have all these tools at our fingertips every day. And we're using our phone for Facebook and Instagram and YouTube Mm. and all this other stuff when it can be used for actually helping you to understand God's word. Yeah. Amen to that. By the way, the only ministry that does pay me to plug their stuff is Full Armor Radio. They're the only one that pays me. So other than that... And they pay um, zero. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this has been a a great study. I've really enjoyed this section. This has been awesome. And uh, we're going to end it here at verse 16. And when we pick up next time, in the next segment, we are going to look at verses 17 uh, all the way to the end of the chapter. So... 17 to 32 sounds like a big section, but there's a lot uh, of those verses that we're actually going to probably get through quickly. But in fact, it might even be a slightly shorter segment on the next one. But um, thanks a lot, you guys. Uh, Any uh, questions or comments? uh, Email Brandon. (laughs) Email me. Yeah. Email themodernberean at gmail.com. I'm the only one that keeps that email address on my phone. Steve just is completely deleted it because he just doesn't <laughs> want to deal with it. I, I forward it and just say, hey, do you want to answer this? Do you want to look at this one? No, but um, we've been getting some great interaction like on Facebook, yeah. which has been cool to see. Some great people. Yeah, really good, really good stuff. And we love it. We love that interaction. Um, I'd never answer. It's just always Steve anyways. <laughs> I'm nicer than Brandon in writing an email. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please do not, do not hesitate to, to email, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we, we love it. And, uh, so until next time, may God bless you and keep you in Jesus name.